We express a praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, can someone nod to let me know you can hear me clearly? Excellent. Very good. Thank you very much. All righty. So, so continuing our exploration of Surah Al-Baqarah, we are getting further into the, the favors that Allah Ta'ala had given to the children of Israel. The first one essentially is that they were saved from the Pharaoh. And on top of that, they witnessed his destruction with their own eyes. And now we're going to look at uh, an interesting point about the usage of time or the passage of time in the Quran. So starting from Ayah 51 all the way to Ayah 54 is the next event. And this is the event of Moses, peace be upon him, getting the receiving the Torah, the Torah. And the question I want you to think about is, is Ayah 51, 52, 53, 54, is this in chronological order? The fact that I'm asking it uh, opens, um, suggests that maybe it is not. So if it is not, then what would be the chronological order of Ayahs 51 through 54? Okay. So once again, repeating, not to, not to beat a dead horse, but the passage begins with wa'id. So now we have another moment from history where we're told and when, or take a lesson from this event from the past. Wa'adna. So, and when we promised, so we made an appointment with Musa for 40 nights. Then you took, and then we'll talk about this idea of the calf. You took for, to the calf after him while you were wrongdoers. Okay, so, I number one, we appointed 40 nights for Musa alayhi salam. Meaning what's taking place? Musa alayhi salam leaves his people for 40 nights. Okay. While he is gone, the people, uh, his people turn to the calf. Now it's understood to mean that they took this calf for worship. They make this calf out of gold and then they start worshiping it and why is the word worship not being mentioned here? Some say it is out of adab for Allah, that the worship of something else is not being acknowledged here, even as a thing. So they took to the calf after, and then, uh, you know, you were wrongdoers. And we spoke about this word, dhulum, that is literally translated as darkness. Commonly, it's translated as wrongdoers. And often in the Quranic context, it translates as people who are oppressing, that they are oppressors and oppressing primarily whom? Themselves. As we'll see a little bit later on, Allah Ta'ala will say, we do not wrong them, they're wrong themselves. Okay, so that's event number one, which has a couple parts in it, the 40 nights and then you taking the calf. And then I have 52. And so we forgave you, we wiped it out. So that you become grateful. Okay. And then Ayah 53. What if again? We gave Musa the, the Kitab and the Furqan. So that you may get guided. So did uh, was he given the scripture while he's in the 40 nights? And then the forgiveness, it says, happened after Ba'da Dalika. So, so now I'm suggesting 
maybe this is not in order. This is not in chronological order. And then Moses says to his people, what if what if yourselves say it again the chat is disabled uh, how about now is it okay what's up yes okay cool Thanks. okay so in nekum so you have most definitely wronged yourselves by taking to the calf. So what do you need to do? Fatubu ila bari'ikum. So you must repent, do tawbah to the one who, who, um, to the one who made you. Good. And kill yourselves. Good. That's the best for you. And then he accepted your repentance. Fataba alaykum. So you turn to him, he turns to you. He is the one who is Tawab and Rahim. So put these moments in order. What do you think? What would be looking at eyes 51 through, let's see if I can shrink this a little. Hopefully it's not too small. Oh, my eyes. Okay. So, yeah, it's still. Anyway, okay, so what would be the first event? So Sami is saying, why would it not be in chronological order? I'm suggesting that it's potentially not in chronological order because here in I-52, they're being told that they're forgiven. Yet in 50, 54, they're being told, okay, you've wronged yourself, so you must repent. And then Allah accepted the repentance. Well, each of like 53 and 54 are both beginning with like a new what is. So can we okay. say that they're just new instances? Like not necessarily so, in order? So it could be that 51 and 52 is capturing one moment. Yeah. 53 is capturing another moment. 54 is capturing another moment because they used to begin with what is. Yeah, I agree with you. But if we put them in chronological order, would it be 51, 52, 53, 54? What do you all think? Uh, Sammy, uh, does uh, does my point make sense? That they're forgiven in I-52, and then I-54, they're seeking forgiveness. Any thoughts? And so Moment saying, is it possible that forgiveness is already granted? So we would think that perhaps the forgiveness is already granted because Allah knows all, but what's fascinating is that he says, after that. So he has given them forgiveness after that. That could be referring to something else, but it seems like it's referring to the fact that they turned to the calf. So, so Sami's point, could 51 and 52 and 54 be dealing with the same instance? It seems as though it's all dealing with the same instance. And again, my point being that it seems as though eyes 51 through 54 are not in chronological order. So what would be the potential steps? What would be the first step of these events? What was the first event? What would you say? So this is sort of an exercise in deciphering the Quran. I would suggest, okay, so number of you are saying 53, 51. I would lean towards the first part of 51. 
that we appointed 40 knights for Musa, peace be upon him. Yeah, yeah, so like what uh, Iqbal is saying and part of what Sharik is saying. That's what I'm suggesting is, is the first thing. Now, what do you think is the second thing? Second event. Second event, 53. So uh, it could be that the second event is Musa alayhi salam is receiving the, the scripture or while he is receiving the scripture, then in I 51, the people, while he's over here, over here, his people are turning to the calf. So those, I think it's hard to argue which one comes first or second. I think it's easier to argue that the first event is that Musa al-Islam is gone for 40 nights. And then while he is gone for 40 nights, he's receiving the scripture. And meanwhile, while he's gone, they are turning to the calf. And then, <clears throat> what, 54? What do you think? As 54 seems to, uh, we would infer that he would have to have come back. And, and then he says, okay, you've wronged yourselves by turning to the calf. And so now you must go through these steps. And then we have 52 coming last. 52 is happening at the same time as the end of IF 54. Make sense? So we're saying step one is Musa al-Islam gets appointed for 40 nights. Step two is he receives the scripture and it's like 2A, he receives the scripture and 2B, they turn to the calf. Step three is he comes back and tells them they have to, they have to go through these steps to repent. And then step four is Allah Ta'ala forgives them. So if that is the case, why put these out of order? So Musab made the point earlier that I'm making the point that, that time is fluid in the Quran. Yeah, or that the Quran, it does not restrict itself chronologically. Um, so let's go through the point that, uh, that Stephanie made and that Laith made about the what if. If we look at each of the what if sections as its own lesson. So the first one, what is the lesson, or what is the lesson we can take from Ayah 51 and 52? Both of those together, because that's one what if. What do you think? So we appointed, or we promised Musa, peace be upon him, 40 nights. Then you turned to the calf, uh, uh, and you were wronging yourselves, your wrongdoers, and then we forgave you so that you would be grateful. So I think uh, forgiveness is part of this. So 51 and 52 doesn't even mention the fact that they asked for forgiveness. Could it be that Allah is sending these revelations to the Prophet in accordance with events taking place in his life? Sure, but first, just on its own within the text, what would be uh, with uh, other lessons from Ayah 51 and 52? Allah created time we are merely experiencing it instead of understanding it and therefore chronologically may not make it makes most sense and emphasis could be on forgiveness. I think part of the emphasis on forgiveness and even more to that, I'm going to suggest that part of the emphasis is on them needing to develop gratitude. 
So their leader is away. So in, in terms of personality, sort of think of Prophet Ibrahim, peace be upon him, not unlike the way we think of the, the personality of, of Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him. And when we think of Musa, peace be upon him, in terms of his personality, think of him as not unlike Omar. May Allah be pleased with him. And I'm speaking only about personality as, as opposed to how are they learning their, their deen. And so, so exactly. So, so Omar is, you know, this forceful personality in matters of deen. And in other narrations, when he's, what's taking place when he's gone, and uh, other narrations within the Quran stuff, when he's gone, uh, another person comes in, starts leading the people to turn to this calf, and in charge is Harun, Musa's brother, but he's not nearly as strong of a leader as, as, as Musa is. Musa comes back and he grabs Harun by his hair, yeah, I can't do that, by his hair and his beard. And, you know, he's saying, what have you done? And he says, oh, son of my mother, you know, let me go. They, you know, this other person is preaching to them and such. And, and so, so we said that, you know, what were the tragic flaws? One was lack of gratitude and the other is when the leaders are corrupt. Now, when their leader was, was Harun, Harun's definitely not corrupt. He is the one who's in charge when Musa is gone. Peace be upon them both. But you had other people who snuck in uh, and tried to take over and led people astray. And so, so related to Stephanie Mears' point, yeah, see how reliant you are on my prophet. They can't go to a, a short time even without supervision. So exactly, be grateful not only to Allah, but be grateful for Musa, peace be upon him. Because in this passage, there isn't a mention of guidance, but it seems as though when the leader was gone, then they started going in other directions. Okay, do we assume, just assume that they were uh, among the people who repented? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, it's, so in the, in the Hadith literature, uh, it seems as though one of those people gets, gets punished directly by Musa, peace be upon him. And Musa basically makes this, uh, the land, he's given the power to make the land encompass this person and kills him. And then there's this conversation where, where Musa is told by Allah that he didn't have to go that far, he didn't have to kill him. But, uh, uh, but it seems as though they're killed. Now, if we add biblical reference, what's taking place when it says, okay, no, no, I'm sorry, sorry. So let's stop with that. Let's go to the next uh, passage. I keep looking at the chat box and my mind's going in, in other directions. Okay, I had 253. So that's the next what if. What would be the lesson here? This one I think is a little bit easier. We gave Musa the Kitab and the Furqan so that you may be guided. Okay, that's, I think this is probably pretty straightforward. Yeah, probably guidance. Uh, what is the relationship between Kitab and Furqan? So Furqan is the same word that we had earlier. What if Faraqna? We split the sea. Okay. And so when we speak of Furqan, we often translate as criterion, and no one really knows what the word criterion means. Made clear, more so, you're splitting right from wrong. This is Furqan. And so Kitab would be the instructions, and Furqan is separating right from wrong. And so that's how the Torah 
excuse me, book of law is operating as sources for guidance. So that one's straightforward. Okay, next what if is I have 54. What would you say are the lessons here? So repentance, and so a way to think about this, one of the points we made when we were talking about the overall structure of the Quran is IS 1 through 39, the introduction, everything you see there, you're going to start seeing manifesting in the story of the Ummah of Musa, peace be upon him. And the things we find in both of those sections, you're going to see manifesting in section three, which is the Ummah of Muhammad, peace be upon him. Okay. So it's in part one, you're going to see happen in part two. And one of the things in part one, what happens? Adam and Eve, peace be upon them, they went to the tree. They slipped, they went to the tree, and then they were taught how to seek forgiveness. Right? Rabbana, thalamna, amfusana, and so forth and so on. And so here, they're being taught how to seek forgiveness. You did this wrong. Okay, here's what you need to do to seek forgiveness. Now this part, is interesting if you look at it through a general Quranic lens versus a biblical lens. Same event, same words, different narrative. What's taking place in the Bible? They had to send X number of people, these guilty people, and have them executed. Yeah. In the Quranic lens, how is this often uh, looked at? You must kill your nafs. It is your nafs that is leading you astray. There are some who also connect this with apostasy laws. I don't think this is very strong uh, for, as a proof for apostasy laws that, all right, if you, if you turn to another god, then you are to be killed. Um, There's some who do that, but I don't think it's a very, very strong argument. So Umar al-Khadra uh, raises a good question. Isn't, uh, would it be better to translate to your soul instead of yourself? Nafs really comes down to how we use it because if we have nafs and ruh, ruh would be soul. Nafs is more often yourself. Your, and it can be your inner self or your baser self or your actual physical self. Okay, so, so here uh, we are being given, you know, the steps that they need to go through to to get forgiveness now i think uh later someone asked a question what about the difference between tauba and and here so uh fataba alaykum versus uh what's the difference between istighfar and af like the the dua everyone's going to be posting on facebook when we get to late father is what Anybody remember? Or we can wait until we get there. Yes, mashallah, exactly that, right? And so what is this afu? This is to wipe it away as though it didn't even happen. Good. So forgiveness is to have your slate cleaned. And then this type of, this translation says is for forgiveness, but this is essentially to have it wiped away as though you didn't even do it. Um, I say take either one. This is this is preferably the better one, but uh, um, different moments you will ask those. Then what is the difference between those two and Tauba? 
What is toba then? How does that fit in? Toba relates more to turning, right? Toba is basically saying, Ya Allah, I went astray. I went off track and I'm turning back to you. And so Tawab is also then him turning back to me. So all of these, Musab, to answer your question, all of these are different types of seeking of forgiveness. All of these are good. One case, everything is wiped away. Another case, you did it, but, uh, but uh, it's still recorded in your history. So there's still maybe consequences to the fact that you did it, even though you're not getting punished. And Toba is basically saying, Ya Allah, I went astray. Now, please accept me back. Yeah. So there's subtle differences, and so they would all be within the umbrella of seeking forgiveness. And so the goal is to do all three of them. Okay, <clears throat> so, so now they've been forgiven. They, that's been erased from their text. And then what do they say to, to Musa, alayhi salam? I have 55. What if Pultum? So what if again? You say, oh, one thing I forgot to mention. Um, what's uh, the significance of him saying, Ya Aumi? This we've talked about, uh, uh, might have been yesterday even. Uh, when someone shifts from Ya Aumi to Ya Ayyuhal Kafirun. When the Prophet is still saying Ya Aumi, he is still believing that they have the hope for redemption. Okay. He's still hoping he still believes that they can turn to Allah. And then when he no longer has that hope, then he speaks of them as kafirs. And at that point, it's basically as though he is now cutting off ties, cutting off responsibility. So the Prophet, peace be upon him, when does he receive Surat al-Kafirun? In terms of the Sita, when does he receive this? It's one of the very last passages he receives before the Hijrah. So over the course of those 10, 13 years, he is in Mecca. He's doing da'wah, he's doing da'wah, he's doing da'wah. And then finally he reaches the point where it's, Ya ayyuhal kafirun, I don't believe what you believe, I don't worship what you worship, you don't worship what I worship nor will I worship what will you worship, nor will you worship what I worship, so forth and so on. You know, to yours, to me, mine. And at that point, he's basically saying, I am not of you, you are not of me anymore. Okay. And then he's departing. So, Qawmi is when the Prophet is still considering himself and considering the people to be him, or considering himself to be of those people. Okay, what about the point we make that shirk is never going to be forgiven. Don't we say that shirk is the unforgivable sin? How do we make sense of the fact that they turn to the calf and it is wiped away from them? Uh, so Basir is saying, only if you don't repent. What if you repent, will shirk be forgiven? Dun, dun, dun. So this is looked at a couple of ways. Uh, of course, if you are a mushrik and you become Muslim, then you are going to become, thank you, Shadik, that's the answer for, for that's another one the answer for absolutely everything in, in all of uh, Islam. Uh, so, so 
it's one thing if I'm a a'udhubillah, a mushrik, and then I become a believer, so all that shirk is forgiven, inshallah. If I willfully, consciously know what I'm doing, meaning if I have internalized iman in Allah, and then I commit shirk, that is potentially unforgivable. Should we seek forgiveness for it? Yes, we should, inshallah. Uh, it's different if I'm acting out of ignorance. So, so that's one way to look at this. Another way to look at this is that this is in the Sharia of Muhammad, peace be upon him. It may not have been the same in the Sharia of Musa, peace be upon him. Or that could be the reason why they're not being told that this is shirk. So, uh, hey, is Abdullah there in class? Abdullah is in a seminar at okay, cool. St. John's. Okay, so Abdullah sent me some notes about uh, about uh, the 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 people of Musa turning to the the calf. Uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll turn back to him on that uh, inshallah tomorrow whenever he comes back inshallah. So, so the point being, one way this is taken is that maybe that is why this is not being called shirk, and thus it's not as big of an issue. Uh, Dr. Ghazi, you're about to make a point. Or not. Uh, what about that hadith uh, where the Rasulullah had described the shirk as a black ant crawling on a black stone in a black night? You will not be aware of that kind of shirk. Uh, therefore, it will be very hard to repent from it. Okay, so your question is? Um, you know, going back to the shirk, uh, I was just going back to the shirk discussion that you had. Uh, if you repent from a shirk, but uh, what, how would you fit, fit that in? Well, I mean, the, the same point being that, uh, so, so just to put everybody on the same page, the Prophet Hispan was warning us about showing off, Riyah, and he describes it as something so subtle, uh, and even saying this, it's not only scary for me to share this, it's scary for me that even is, is the fear that, I'm doing, that I have of this also, uh, the same problem. But it is something that is so subtle that, as Dr. Kazi mentioned, it's like a black ant on a shiny black rock in the middle of the night. It is that subtle. Okay. And so, so we would classify that then, again, uh, as all the other sins we might be committing and may not realize it or may not pay attention to the fact that it is happening. And so thus, we keep seeking forgiveness for all those things to show so, so uh, what I took from some of Abdullah's notes related to your question, uh, Iqbal, did they do it inside of ignorance? So one of the understandings is that they saw other tribes worshiping animals and wanted to be like them. And so then this person comes up with the idea, okay, let's put our gold together and let's make this calf of gold so that we can be like these other people. So Omar, question. Yes. So what is the is the accountability is the same for the intentional shirk and unintentional shirk? I would say those are two very very different things. And so, by intentional shirk, uh, what am I speaking of? I'm saying I understand tawhid. I understand la ilaha illallah, and I don't mean like in some cosmic sense. I understand Allah is the controller of all. Allah is the provider of Allah. Not to make any partners with Allah, and then I make dua to something else. 
And so, so that's willful. Okay. And uh, as opposed to me not realizing. So remember, what is the second command? Do not knowingly make rivals to Allah. It may be that I'm making other things rivals to Allah and I don't realize it. But on the same time that, you know, the intentions, Hadith, you know, is, is right there, right? So we have to have our intentions right. So the intentions make our actions speaks, right? So, so if your overaction is towards the dunya, or we are just following some, something which is, uh, you know, taking us away from the, from the God or the oneness of God, isn't that, but is this is considered as intentional or is, is it still inten, unintentional? But I'm saying, think of a specific action. Give me an action um, uh, and then we can address it that way. So if you just keep working and we don't know about Salah or anything else, right? Yeah, so that, that's, just... that would not be shirk, right? That would be rafla, like negligence or something. So by shirk, I'm saying, let's say, okay, let's say you you're you're applying and applying uh, no let's say you, you're you're taking a test and you keep failing it okay and you fail this test 10 times and you're making stronger and stronger dua each time and you still keep failing it and then for whatever reason on the 11th time you're praying to someone else okay. that sounds like sheer right I think that's very different than someone who is getting careless and skipping their prayers. That I would not call shirk. That would be sin. Malahat, what do you think? No, that, that's a good point. But, but I'm thinking that, you know, where, where the deviation going to come? What is the, what is the intentional shirk other than, you know, because in, in, in a practically, in nowadays society, as a Muslims, we don't, uh, uh, you know, pray to someone else. We pray to God, but but you, our actions speak differently. Uh, you know, like all the way from from the riba and missing the prayer, or raising our children, or keep working. You know, on that some certain. So we don't have like in in the qinaat, right? Like we don't have a limit of uh, of our desire. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just more like a slave of our desire, right? So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so, so uh, I'll address your last part last, being a slave of our desire, but everything else you've described, the bad actions, those would all be sins. It's just like the question we asked earlier in the, in the previous course. If I'm telling a lie, uh, mm. uh, is that shirk, right? Because I'm saying this person is more important to me than Allah at that moment. I said, no, it's not shirk, it's a sin. Even if it looks like shirk. Now, we are taught, you know, in the Quran about, you know, warning about the people who take their hawa, who take their desires as their God. Is that shirk? I mean, sure, it looks like shirk, but I'm so cautious to, to even call that shirk. What do you think? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just debating that, you know, how, how we can adopt the taqwa so we don't get to that area which is forbidden. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's just you just keep increasing your taqwa, you keep increasing your ibadah, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Life. Yeah, you can most solidify your your guardrails, right? So, mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. Nice. Sounds good. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Uh, Musab, did they worship the calf in defiance to Allah? At this point in the story, it doesn't look like it's out of defiance. It looks like it's out of ignorance that this one person in their community said, it'll be really beneficial if we do this and everybody like, like sheep, you know, just follow them. It didn't look like it was, is defiance at this point. The defiance is going to come probably in about seven ayahs, inshallah, probably five ayahs. Uh, Omar al-Khadra, is losing hope in God on the 11th time considering shirk if you are then worshiping someone else? Then it is shirk. Losing hope is, is not shirk. It's a very bad place to be in. But you're still believing that it's Allah. You're basically just saying Allah's not helping me. That's very different. Uh, Omar al-Khadra, let me know if that makes sense. Uh, Musab has another question. Uh, when the Israelites were in captivity under the Egyptians, did they still retain their faith? That seems to be the case. That under persecution, they maintained their faith. Under freedom, they went astray, which I think is a very fascinating lesson about life. I mean, all these questions are also touching about something we're going to do. Once we go through this material, we're going to backtrack and look at this whole unit as lessons on the dynamics of a community. So the first, the introductory section, is very much lessons on the dynamics of faith at the individual level. And then this subsection is going to be, we're going to revisit it all as lessons on the dynamics of the community. So we're getting a taste of all of that uh, as we go through this. Uh, how long after the separation of the sea did they start worshiping the calf? Uh, some people say this goes as high as 40 years. Some people say it's only 40 days, but uh, meaning that they, they, they're uh, saved from the 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 after the splitting of the sea and then shortly after that very shortly after that Musa is sent along but the answer beyond that Allah knows best uh, to your question uh, Asma. Omar, may I push back on your statement of uh, the of uh, Bani Israel retaining their faith? Uh, I mean, you're more charitable than I am. I would say they were maintaining more of a distinct socio-cultural identity rather than faith because the. Uh, there was no chance of them being assimilated as Egyptians. But were they worshipping anyone other than Allah? That's the key part. Uh, that would fit in with their socio-cultural uh, distinction, correct? Well, whatever, whatever the reason is, the bottom line is, did they worship someone other than Allah? I think yeah, but, uh, what you're talking you about is more Iman. I'm sorry? Uh, you know, again, I will say that you are more charitable than I am. I would say that um, they did not have uh, that and this was very, very, very soon manifested by the fact that they took uh, the ilah uh, other than Allah SWT as soon as they could in the, well, in the shape of calves or so. Well, I mean, supporting your point from that perspective, um, yeah, that uh, they were not in very much of a position to turn away, right, because they were, they were enslaved. And then once they found freedom, then, you know, their nafs took over. Uh, but still, suppose, so think of all the people who were in slavery and then died while still in slavery. Um, what would you say about them? Of the, of the, of the children of Israel? Mm, I will trace back on those people, but uh, it becomes a matter of salvation, so. Yeah, yeah. and so yeah, I, I think we're making slightly different points. Then uh, I think your point was still on, you know, what's the foundation of their Iman? And I'm just saying, did they worship anyone other than Allah? So if we were to apply that to today, uh, uh, how many of us 
who had the privilege of being raised as Muslim. That's what basically kept us in Islam, you know, um, as opposed to those who had the privilege of finding Islam on their own and then, you know, and then remained in Islam. Uh, you, you made this point yesterday, Omar, that, you know, since all the prophets are coming in, in to them, like back-to-back prophet from one to another, Mm-hmm. So I think they got they got so accustomed to it, so that they don't see they don't count the name of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala towards them, and so I mean, it's just become norm. Well, this seems to be the first prophets they're receiving. This is the beginning. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and it seems that the what you're talking about is when the later prophets do come. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, so one, not to belabor the point, Omar, but uh, sorry, <laughs> Go for but. It. Uh, you know, uh, when I was speaking to uh, our friend uh, Numan, he had uh, he was citing a piece of uh, 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 research in which he was uh, talking about the uh, the food items that the Bani Israel had uh, had asked for, okay. and he was basically saying that these were all the items that were considered uh, delicacies in the Egyptian cuisine. Really? So, so that is and yeah, all that stuff. Onions uh, and so forth, huh? See if you can see if you can find find that that uh, that research. I know. Uh, hey, Olfat, what's fool made out of? Is fool like beans or like lentils or something? Any other Egyptians here? Baba beans. Beans. Baba beans. So yeah, that's a point that some people have made about beans in particular. That this is fool, and and fool is like a like a an upper class food, right? Anyone can correct me. Arabs. No. Okay, I thought it was. It's lower class. Okay, I thought it was upper class. Okay. In any case, uh, I'd be curious uh, more about that. We'll be getting to that pretty soon, inshallah. Let's see. Uh, Salia, so is losing hope somehow related to depression and anxiety? I would say that absolutely is related to depression and anxiety. Also, the relationship between doubt, anxiety, depression, some of it may be due to mental illness. Yes, you mentioned during the Ramadan class that you would discuss it at a later time, but I don't think we did. I don't recall um, what I was saying back then, so hopefully I'm being consistent in all the new stuff that I'm completely making up. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So, so uh, I'm cautious in, in linking uh, all mental health issues with a person's uh, imaginative state. And what I mean by this is that if I have hope in my mind, um, does that mean I'm not going to be in depression? Uh, I don't think the two are linked. Meaning, if I am hopeless in my mind, does that mean I'm going to be in depression? I don't think that's necessarily a link. That I do think a certain amount of depression is purely physiological. But I do think there is some link. That uh, So, for example, when students come to my office with depression or anxiety, often the first things I'm asking them is, what is the condition of your food, diet, what is the condition of your sleep, and what is the condition of your prayers? But for prayers, I'm including both the stability that they might have in their day from their prayers, as well as whatever else the prayers are giving them. Um, But I'm suggesting that it's not going to cure those things uh, because more often than not, I'm still gonna refer them to go to a uh, a therapist, meaning a lot of that is outside of my realm. Uh, But if we think of of the the diagram, the chart I kept making of, of, body, mind, heart, think of these experiences, depression, anxiety, also being in each of those realms. Since I spoke of each of those realms, 
as having their own uh, emotional map. And so the body, which is more connected with your physiology, it has its own emotions. So depression of the body is different than depression of the mind, which is depression different than depression of the heart. And then likewise, anxiety, likewise, uh, other experiences, including basic experiences like happiness and sadness and such. Uh, we have uh, uh, Dr. Hadia in our group too. She's more of the expert on this. She can also, uh, she likes commented. Um, uh, regarding doubt and anxiety. So I would suggest that doubt can inflame anxiety, uh, but I'm still suggesting that some amount of anxiety is, is, is physiology and is treated by way of, of physiology. And some amount of anxiety is treated by within the mental realm. And then some amount of anxiety is a condition of the heart. Like for example, if you're someone who is uh, who is very rock solid in making your Isha prayers. And I'm not telling you this to do this as an experiment, uh, but if you go to sleep, skipping your Isha prayers, you're probably going to have difficulty going to sleep and you're going to feel an agitation uh, from it. Uh, even this is why people are cautious against, uh, people are cautious against other people randomly giving avkar as recipes, you know, recite these names of Allah, those names of Allah. Uh, because they have, uh, they have power. So, for example, if you're someone who sends salawats on the Prophet, peace be upon him, on a regular basis, like a daily basis, and then you suddenly stop for X number of days for no reason, you're going to feel a certain type of agitation, like a physical sensation of agitation. And so there seems to be some link somewhere in there, but I'm very cautious to make it very concrete, like 1 plus 3 equals 4. Get down anxiety key into habit. Uh, Musab, that sounds like a very profound question. If I can ask you to explain it further. Uh, how do you draw the line? How to differentiate? Uh, I think, Sadia, I, I might need you offline to make the question larger and then we can figure out how to dedicate more time to it. Um, other questions. So, Loki, Stephanie Alexander, the bright lure of freedom diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for power. Very, very interesting quote. Is that from the movies or is that from the comics? Uh, any other questions that I am that I haven't gotten to from the movie? Okay, thanks. Is that from Ragnarok or which one? Compared 52 and 54, 52 and 54 uh, are two different events. Uh, uh, Bossier, can I may I ask you to explain that further? Yeah. Um Asking if they are, uh, because it looks like Allah SWT forgives them and then they have to uh, seek repentance. Uh, so Allah forgives them because he already knows that they're going to ask for repentance? Well, I mean, he keeps saying that Ayah says after that, that's the part where I think it makes it so fascinating. Because if we didn't have we could say that Allah Ta'ala you know, I forgave them even before the, they asked. Um, but it seems as though 52 and 54 are potentially referring to the same thing. Now, the flip side of it is that what I'm also doing is hair splitting. Uh, if we take the lessons for each what if section, then I think the, the passages become much more clear. That it's not, it doesn't matter if it's the same event or not. You see what I'm saying? 
so uh but i still don't understand then why why did uh they have to uh why did they have to do the act in order to be re- to be accepted as repentant mm-hmm. so so the way i'm suggesting is that they had to do the act and uh the tawbah was ex- uh, was accepted which includes i52 and they're forgiven so that they become grateful but what i'm suggesting is i52 is emphasizing the need for gratitude whereas 54 is the process of seeking forgiveness okay okay now i'm suggesting that they're emphasizing two different aspects of the of the situation okay thanks okay inshallah um uh, okay yes germany uh that i've got oh germany wait wait you're talking wait are you talking about civil war Okay, I heard someone suggest that the command for them to kill themselves is literal, not referring to killing the nafs. Is this understanding a different of a uh, way of understanding the ayah? If we look at it, Ulfat, uh, uh, if we look at the passage in the the Bible, then yeah, we're it was mass execution. Something like 70,000 people or 150,000 people were then executed uh, for turning to the calf. Ah, okay, Jeremy Stevens of the first Avengers. Okay, thank you. Uh, so Ulfat, let me know if that makes sense. um any other questions about anything at all so uh when let, let's say uh, nowadays if somebody makes uh uh a sin and then they are to forgive them uh how do we know that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven us and uh because only if you know that you've been forgiven then you will be grateful or is it that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives when you ask okay so one fundamental difference is they have a prophet among them who is able to tell them okay you've been forgiven and and so so a lot of those things are getting their answers right away right just like when they're asking which cow should we slaughter which such and such go ask your god about these things and then they're getting an answer because they have a prophet with them uh, peace be upon them in our case the general principle is that if you ask for forgiveness you should assume you are forgiven but you should take that the three step test uh and hopefully to say yes to all three do i stop the action do i regard it as wrong and do i hate to go back to it the way i hate to go to be thrown into a fire If I can say yes to all those then I can assume my request for forgiveness is sincere. If I can't say yes to all those I still ask for forgiveness. But if I can't if I'm not stopping the action then it means I need some more tarbiya more training. If I don't regard it as wrong it means I need more knowledge. And if I don't hate to go back to the action because a lot of times you know there's some appeal to the sin and we yearn to go back to that then i need more knowledge and i need more training but i should still seek forgiveness and i should still assume that i am forgiven or when i commit a, a wrong action i should immediately follow it up with a good action as a way to assume both to break my potential you know lust for the wrong action as well as to potentially cancel out whatever the sin would have been But so it is one of the important lesson in there uh is that once you do these even then you should remember 
uh, that Allah SWT forgave you and be grateful for that? Is that one yeah, of that I think absolutely. Absolutely. That he took them out of slavery and gave them this huge, huge uh, gift by giving them this, not just freedom, but this almost seemingly unlimited freedom. And then they turned away and yet he still brought them back or he still gave them the doorway to come back. That is a fundamental, a fundamental lesson for all of us. No matter how bad I am or have become, uh, I should never give up on the Rahmah of Allah. Any other questions about anything at all? Alrighty. Otherwise, uh, 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 we'll stop right here, inshallah. Oh, wait. Noor says, we spoke of istighfar, forgiveness, versus afu. We'll wipe it out as though it never happened. Afu seems stronger, but it is, it, it, it is ever an instance when we should ask for istighfar over afu. Um, that, that is a good question, and I'm going to have to think about that one. Uh, those types of things, sort of like tawbah versus istighfar versus afu. Um, they're all good. And sometimes it just comes down to what is the specific mood that you're in in that moment, or sometimes it's what do you feel that you need to, to feel, to have a sense of redemption, you know? And so it's hard to give a direct do this and not this. Just like when I made the point at the very beginning of, of uh, Sirat al-Mustaqim, um, that we have three destinations. One is to avoid hell. Another one is to get uh, to get paradise. Another is to meet God or to be pleased with God. All three are good. If we had to pick one, then meeting God is good. But in a particular moment, I might do an action just for the reward. Or in a particular moment, I might avoid a sin just to avoid the punishment. Okay. Um, or I might be doing things for Allah to be pleased with me. So a lot of that really comes down to the moment you're in through the course of your day, your week, your year, et cetera, and so on. But still, your question is fascinating. I try to, I'll try to think. Because uh, I think the word that the prophet uses, peace be upon him, when he says that you know, he, he sometimes experiences a cloud over his heart is istighfar. Any other questions? Alrighty, then, unless there's no other question, unless there's more questions. So if there are no other questions, then we'll stop right here, inshallah, and we'll continue tomorrow. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu la ilaha illa anta nastaghfirka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu la ilaha illa anta nastaghfirka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu la ilaha illa anta nastaghfirka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah tell you all. وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين